Well, good morning. Good to have everybody here. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, it's the grace of God that we can get through this chapter in just one sermon, because there's a lot here, but we will seek to manage it. You know, I was thinking about our church, and when I look around the auditorium now, I see an awful lot of really gifted people. Um, I, and I won't call you out because I don't want to embarrass you, but virtually everybody I look at, I say, wow, God is gifted her this way, him that way. This is one gifted church. But you know, in your own life, as I know in my own life, it's possible to be a gifted church without being a loving church. It's, it's possible to have the gifts of the Spirit, but not manifest the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Um. And, and the reason I know that's the case is because when you come to the church of Corinthians, they were gifted off the charts. If you go back to chapter 1, and Paul will say right up front, God has gifted you in speech and in knowledge in incredible ways. So when we come to chapter 13, we shouldn't be surprised with that. But what Paul's going to argue and you see it at the end of chapter 12, and you see it again in kind of an envelope fashion at the beginning of chapter 14. At the end of chapter 12, Paul will say this, after talking about all the different gifts, he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And chapter 14, verse 1, will start out by saying, follow the way of love. So Paul is going to argue Gifts are wonderful, but love is more central. So, so to do that, in this passage, Paul's going to tell us why love should be a priority, and then he's going to tell us what love is. So I'm going to rearrange the chapter just a little bit, because the first three verses tells us why um, we should love, the last couple verses tell, tell us why we should love. And then the middle section tells us what love looks like. So I'm going to kind of deal with the first and the third section first. And then kind of end with that list of 15 qualities. Does that make sense? So that, That's kind of how we want to develop our time. Again, chapter 13 is absolutely critical. He's talking about gifts in chapter 12 more broadly. He's going to talk about two gifts in particular in chapter 14, prophecy and tongues. But in chapter 13, he wants to talk about the importance of love in the midst of all this. So, the motivation to love. Exercising gifts without love has no benefit before God. And I know this is a, is a if you've been around Christianity any period of time, you've heard this chapter, right? I mean, You've memorized it, for heaven's sakes. So, as we work through it, what I've often said before, it's kind of like that Kellogg's commercial. Try to taste again for the first time and hear what God is saying. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I was actually going to enlist one of our young people for this today and have an object lesson for you, but I didn't have time to pull it off. This would have been the time I would have had a young person come out of the side there and just start going, clang, bang. But, so you can imagine. Um, but So didn't do that. My wife and I were talking about it on the way up and didn't quite get it done. Tim would have enjoyed doing that, no doubt, too. If I would have just prepped you, right? I mean, I'm sure you would have. But what he does in these first three verses is he looks at some of these specific gifts that they have been overemphasizing and thinking that they were better because they had these gifts. And he looks at them, and in, in a series of if clauses, he, he kind of gives you hyperbole. He, he talks, wow, what if you had this gift to the nth degree? Do, do you see? So, so that there's no wiggle room. So he says, look, if I speak in the tongues of, not, not just of men, but let's, let's throw angels in there too. Let's, let's not mess around. Let's just put it all together. But I do not have love. I am this clanging symbol. Wouldn't that annoy you if the whole time I was trying to speak to you, we had somebody in the background going, King Kong! You know, I mean, Don would try to turn them off, but, but really... Do you see, what would you, what would you be thinking? I can't hear. It's noisy. You got it. And so, so you may have this incredible ability to speak in the tongue of, of any human language, of, of any angelic language. But if we don't know what you're saying, gong, that's all it is. It's not. It's not doing anything. Paul says, let me give you another one. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Do you see what he just did there? If I know it all and I can tell you about it all, which none of us can. And let me throw another one in. And if I have faith, that can move mountains. I mean, really move mountains. But do not have love. I'm a little bit. Is that what your passage says? My text says I am nothing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you, anything you want to know, I know. Anything. I can tell you about it. If I was a know-it-all, but didn't have love, I'm a zero. Uh, do, do, do you see? He, he takes it all to the nth degree. And with each one, he says, it's useless. Often to others, but even if it's beneficial to others, it will always leave you a zero before God. Because Love is always done, should be done. Love is always to be something that is for God to others. Do you see? And so, take the most gifted people in the world. If there's not love, nothing. Paul's not done. Now, and I was reading this with uh, 
couple of my children yesterday, and they asked, they asked a really good question, so I'll pose it to you. Look at verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor, that, that's pretty good. And I'm not giving 50%, I'm giving it all, which for some of us isn't that much. But nonetheless, I give all to the poor, and I give over my body to the hardship to even being burnt. But do not have love, I gain nothing. Is it possible for me to do an act to you that is beneficial? You're hard up financially and I give you money. I, I give you all my money. And, and somebody's going to get burnt, literally, and I step in and I take it rather than you. I tell you, my name would be in every newspaper. Doug Finkbeiner, the best. I don't know. Something, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, you'd be reading about me all the time. Is it possible for me to do all of that and not really do it out of love? So my kids asked. It is, isn't it? I could do all of that for who? Right here. Because my reputation, I want people to think, when they think of Doug Finkbeiner, I want them to go, oh. <laughs> right, that's what I want. And he's not saying that people don't benefit from it. Pastor James, Pastor Tim, myself, we can get up and, and preach a full-out message. And, and if it's from the Word of God and it's true, you will be blessed and, and, and touched by it. But if we do it so you can go like, oh, man, hoo-hoo, what, do, what does God say? Finkbeiner, at the end of the day, it's a goose egg. It's nothing if you don't have love. If I pulled out of my wallet a $50 bill, but there are $50 bills, right? Yeah. I don't see them very often. I was going to say, yeah, $50 bill, okay. As I was saying, I know there's $100. Anyway, I pulled out a $50 bill, and it was counterfeit. And uh, I handed it to you. And, and you took that $50 bill, and I don't know, you went out to eat for lunch, and you gave it to the, the merchant. And you had a great meal. And then, then he takes that $50 bill and pays part of his electric bill with it. So it goes to the electric company, and it just kind of goes from place to place to place. Finally, it passes back through the bank. And what do they do with that $50 bill? It's a counterfeit. They throw it away. It's nothing. Now, did, did people benefit? I had a great lunch. Or you had a great lunch. But at the end of the day, before God... It's worth nothing. So Paul is telling the Corinthians, Paul is telling the chapel, this love thing is not a game. Don't think of love as something that's drippy and warm, you know, sloppy, agape, or whatever they say. I mean, it's, 
when I read these 15 qualities, it's hard. Matter of fact, it's impossible apart from God's enabling grace. Do, do, do you see? And he just wants you to know up. He wants the Corinthians to know. He wants the chapel to know. Don't play with this thing. You are gifted. But without love, it's zero before God. Tells us something else. He tells us love remains into eternity beyond revelatory gifts and the virtues of faith and hope. So let me read verse 8. Love never fails. Watch what he does here. He takes certain gifts, specifically for the Corinthians, these revelatory gifts that they were, you know, proud over. And he says, let's look at those and let's see just how long they last. And then, let's take the great virtues of faith, hope, and love, which Paul will often mix together in his epistles, does it often. And let's ask ourselves, which one will carry into eternity? Okay? First of all, these revelatory gifts. Notice what he says. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Paul says, and, and this section of Scripture um, is very hotly debated. Okay? And I had actually even thought at one point, do I want to go off and talk about some of this? And I think I might wait for next week. It might work better in that chapter. So I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm choosing not to get into some of the controversies, only to say this. I think when the word talk, when, when, when the text talks about completeness, or maybe in your translation it says the perfect comes. I think what it's talking about, although, like I said, scholars debate whether it's the completion of the canon, the maturity of the church. I think at the end of the day, it's the coming of Christ. And, 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 and what, he, what he's arguing is this. You take a gift like prophecy, which is, which is a wonderful gift from God. It's always in part at this time, isn't it? It's, it's never complete. And, and it will one day, in light of eternity, be no longer necessary. Will you need prophecy in heaven? In the new heaven and the new earth? We won't. Because we will know even as we are known. Do you see? 
And so he, he compares and contrasts, and he says, the thing you're focusing on right now that you're taking so much pride in is gone one day. It's no longer there. And, and, and children need to grow up. I told you last week we went out to Michigan to see my uh, granddaughter, which is a great blessing, little Harper. I should have brought a picture of her. I, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. But it's so much fun to see them grow. I wish I could see her more often, but it is what it is. And, you know, I, I, I'm so excited that she's crawling. You know, I, I, it just, we, we just, re- and she can, you know, you know what they're like. They can barely stand, you know, some of you young families, you know all this stuff. Okay. And, and we, we just rejoice. But what if she's 25 and she's still crawling? I mean, that, that's not a good thing. I, I want her to crawl. <laughs> I want her to run one day and play, Right? And Paul says, there are things that God gives us on this earth at this time, and, and they're wonderful blessings, and it, it's, it's, it's part of his plan, but there's something fuller coming one day. You go from childhood, childhood's fine, but you don't want to stop there. And he says, when you think of these gifts, they're all going to be gone one day. These gifts, anyway. You won't need them. We'll we'll be in the presence of God. He goes on to say this. I don't think I read all the verses. Uh, Look at verse um, verse 12. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, I've got a picture here. This is from Corinth, believe it or not, in the museum that's over there in Corinth. Um, Because the other thing is, I was talking to my children about this, and they said, I don't know, Dad, you can see pretty clearly in a mirror. And that's, in ours you can, right? But in antiquity, the the mirrors were bronze. It was bronze. Now, you, you can shine that up a little bit. But honestly, folks, how clearly can you see in that thing? You know, you got to, but, but a face-to-face? And he says, our lives, we're so limited. What we know and what we perceive and what we understand and what we can communicate. I mean, yeah, I, I, I see the reflection. I can tell it's a guy. But one day, face-to-face. Why do we flaunt now what will fade when we get into eternity? However, love is like uh, the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going and going and going right into eternity. Do you see? And so before Paul gives the list, he says, "Uh, look, I want you to know something. Without love, zero. Take all your gifts. They're temporary. When you compare them to love, which will go out throughout eternity. You say, okay, 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 that's pretty good. But 
How about faith and hope? They're really good virtues, aren't they? Paul, Paul says, let me talk about that one. Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Does that sound strange to you? I want to give high marks to faith and hope. We're saved by grace through faith. But again, I think what he's saying, even when you take these most marvelous virtues of faith and hope, what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 8? He says, you hope for things that you have not yet actually experienced. But once you experience them and see them, it's no longer hope. So if I say, I hope I get an ice cream cone today. Once I have it in hand, it's no longer hope. It's done. And so Paul is just, he wants us to know something. Folks, folks, right now before God, before God, love is everything. And love will carry right into eternity. Those other gifts will pass away. Even faith and hope, which are so necessary for this age, will no longer be necessary. And so Paul says, love's kind of important. So then we can't help but say, okay, Paul, what does that entail? So I'm going to try in the next 15 to 20 minutes. 15, try. 20, possibly. Talk you through 15 qualities of love. And this is what I want you to do with me as I talk this through. I want you to think that we're looking at a diamond. Um, I don't look at diamonds very much. Probably the last time was when I bought my wife's uh, wedding ring. Now, I, I've looked at it since. But you know what happens with a diamond, right? You put it up there in the light, and the, the, it, when you turn it around, there's all kinds of different rays. And, but it, it's one diamond. And Paul is putting love up to the light, and he's saying, look at all these different facets. And this is what I want to ask ourselves. I, I hope as a body, we might first of all, the word used all the way through here is love. Love is, love is, love is, right? Or love is not. What would happen if we'd put the chapel in there? I mean, as a group. The chapel is. But even make it more personal as we walk through. What if we put your name in there? I know one thing. I could put Jesus's, Jesus Christ's name in there. And he bats a thousand. The chapel doesn't, and we don't as individuals. I, I, I get it. Our, our prayer is always, God, by your grace, by the sanctifying work of your spirit, make this a greater reality, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what we pray. So I want to look through these facets. And every one, Jesus does it perfectly. How do we do it as a body? How do you do it as an individual? Fair enough? As, as we kind of walk through. I'll try not to spend too much time on some of these because they're very convicting. 
Oh, one other thing. As I'm going through this list, would you take just a moment and think about people in your own life that are really hard to love? Not too many. <laughs> just a couple. Maybe, maybe the top three or five. That would be fine. But, you know, it could, be, it could be that guy at work that is an absolute pain in the neck every time you see him. He, he hassles you constantly. Just you're, you're happy if he's sick. You just, just whatever. Just maybe, maybe it's that guy. I don't know. It could be that extended family member that hates you. And you know it. It, it, it could be that person at church that just annoys you. I mean, when you see them, you want to kind of go the other direction. I don't know who it is. But we've all got people in our mind. Am I, is that, do you have like a top three? Okay, okay. Just remember, don't, don't shout it out. Just kind of remember it. But, but be thinking of those three or four, whatever it is. <laughs> Hopefully not too many. Um, and ask yourself, what does this mean in my relationship with them? Fair enough? One other thing, and the English translations don't always bring it out clearly, but in the Greek, every one of these expressions has an active verb. So you could almost, my, my translation says, love is patient. I guess you could say, love is patienting, but that's not a word, so I can't really do that. But, but it's just, it's something that's active in moving and doing something all the way through. So the first one, love is patient. I've got a person I'm thinking about right now whose name will remain anonymous, who's not in this room. And it's not my wife either because she's doing junior church, but it's not her either. Because, okay? Okay, hey, Sherry's not here. No, no, I don't mean Sherry. Okay. Right. That God constantly stretch, stretches me when I read that. Patient means to be long-fused. Do you find yourself sometimes with people just getting very irritated very quickly? They just, they're just prickly. And when you see them, you just, mm. And the fuse, we, we were shooting off firecrackers uh, for, on the 4th. Uh, and and um, some of those fuses were pretty short. Uh, I, I didn't shoot that one off, but it was pretty short. And I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm just saying. But, but short fuses, you know what I mean? You light it, and before you know it, it goes off. Just like firecrackers. Paul says love is patient. If you're going to exercise your gifts in a way that honors Christ with others, God calls us to be patient, long-fused. Love is kind. It's kind of lost in the public discourse today, isn't it? I mean, you look at politics. You, the word you would probably not use is kind. We've lost kindness. People attack. They don't listen. They just, it's, it's. And we can stand out as, as Christians and be kind to the unkind. It's easy for me to be kind to Mindy because Mindy's kind to me and I'm kind back to Mindy. That's nice. But Jesus will say in the Gospels, yeah, but that, anybody can do that one. But how about being kind to those that are unkind to you? 
You still thinking about that person? Love is long-fused. Love is kind. Stories told of William Carey, who uh, ended up going to India. And, and he, he was a very common man. He was a cobbler, which means he repaired shoes. That's what he did. He went to India, and folks, he translated the Bible into 34 dialects. Now, that's a brilliant man. He was back in England at some uppity-uppity party, I guess, with some social elites. The woman came up to him and said, I understand, Mr. Carey, that you're a shoemaker. What would you say? There's a lot of things you could say. How many languages do you know, lady? I mean, that would be one, right? I'm not suggesting it. I'm just saying... You know, some of us might think that way, like me. Um, and he looked back at her and he said, no, ma'am, I'm actually not a shoemaker. I just, I just mend shoes, actually. I just repair them. That was kind. In those moments, it's easy for my mouth to get way ahead of everything else. I don't know about you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Do you know, we, the, the in, <laughs> our, our entire system of commercials and marketing items and all that is all about you envying what somebody else has. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, I would like that car. That car is better than my car. And clearly with the Corinthians... You would have people envying, saying, I wish I had your looks. I wish I had your social status. I wish I had your gifts. I wish, I wish, I wish. And the Bible says love isn't about that because love isn't about me being better than you or having what you have. Love is about me so knowing God's love for me that it so overwhelmed my soul because I'm saved. I'm God's. I'm a child of his. Everything has changed. I'm free to say, it's fine for you to have that. God's sovereign. He's given me what he's given me. He's given you what he's given you. It's okay. Do you see, love is always before God, isn't it? Toward others. So, doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. Do you ever want to brag about your accomplishments? Just so somebody knows. <laughs> you see, it, it's, it's endemic to humanity, folks. We, 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 I think I've used this illustration before, and it's not evil. It just makes the point, maybe. If I show you a high school picture of your graduating class, where do you look first? You look for yourself, don't you? I, I mean, look, there's just something there, isn't there? That if I shift into neutral, it's Finkbeiner. You know? And so I'm going to be thinking about myself, and I did this. Did you know what I did? Dave, do you know what I did, Dave? And I just got to find some way to kind of, uh, and, and we're better than, there's all kinds of ways to do it, but 
maybe in doing that to Dave, what I really want to say to Dave is, you know, Dave, you're just not as good as me. Love you, brother. Right? It's easy to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, Dave, we talk in the area of repairing things, and I wouldn't even want to go there with you, so we'll just keep going because you're... Dave is very capable in those areas, and um, I can change gas. Uh, I can change a tire, and when it comes to a car, that's about it. Okay, so I'm very limited. But anyway, um, goes on to say this. J- just, li- just hear these things. Hear what it says. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. I love the joke. You love the joke, too, I'm sure. Be very careful with your jokes that they don't dishonor another person. That's easy to do. Isn't it? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> did you hear the one about Phil? Yeah, I'm, yeah and I'm all, this <laughs> is so good. I can't believe Phil did. And, I, and what happens is I, I embarrass Phil, and Phil laughs because everybody else is laughing. But Phil's just been hurt. And, 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 I, and I'm violating this. I'm not honoring you when I do that. If you want to make a joke on somebody, always make it on yourself. Everybody will love it. And you'll be okay. But love is so sensitive. And you think about the Corinthians where you've got wealthy and poor people. How easy it would be to see a slave and say, just dishonor them. Get over here. Go over there. Right? You're in a culture where the rich are supposed to go down to the slaves and say, how can I honor you before everyone else? Well, one way, as Tim spoke about a couple weeks ago, we eat the meal together before we actually do communion. Do you see? We do it in other kinds of subtle ways. In their day, they did it in pretty explicit, terrible ways. We do it too. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Do you have a list? When you think of that person that you're thinking about right now, do you have a list of things that they've done to you over the last 10, 15, 20 years? Yes, maybe they've asked you for forgiveness, maybe they haven't, but man, you got the list, it's right there. Paul will say on the converse of this in Romans 12, because the word there for wrongs is the word for evil. So Paul is not saying people, Paul is saying people hurt us. They do evil to us. And one of the options is to keep a list of all of them. And every time I see you, either explicitly or implicitly, I will get revenge. That is one way to live. Paul says conversely in Romans 12, the other option is to overcome evil with good. Everybody in here has been wronged. Everybody in here has experienced evil from others. What do we do with it? You can put it on a list and you can carry it to your grave. 
and you'll all you'll do is hurt yourself, hurt others, and dishonor the God you love. And people do it all the time. And it's very sad. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Sometimes people will tell me, in some of the cultural issues that we face today, a lot of things in the area of, of, of sexuality, you're aware of them, whether, whether it's transgenderism or whether it's homosexuality, you, you, whatever, whatever you want to put on the list. There's a lot of perversions out there, folks. And that, that's how the Bible describes them. And there's just constant pressure on us as the people of God to say, you need to accept people the way they are and not make an issue of it. Am I right? Do you ever feel that pressure? It's not just me, is it? And at the end of the day, according to this verse, I am not loving them when I do that. Love does not rejoice in things that are wrong. Love rejoices in the truth. And it exhausts the truth. And it wants you to experience the truth. Because it loves. Paul says, that, that's what love is all about. And then in, in, in kind of rapid succession here at the end. Listen to what he says. I, I, I love this last section. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You know what that means? That means you and I perhaps have family members that have strayed from God. And it grieves your heart. Sometimes you don't even want to pray for them anymore. Because what good's it going to do? You've been doing it for years. But love perseveres. Love endures. Love believes that a holy, loving God can transform their life, even though it's been years. Love hopes while there's life, there's hope. And love just holds on. Not because it believes that people are wonderful, because it believes that God is wonderful. So I don't endure because, I endure because of God. I hope because of God. I believe because of God. I do that for my loved ones. I, like you, have friends and family members that have strayed from God. And it's a burden. There's church members that aren't where they should be spiritually. And it can bug you. That, that's an option. It can bug you. Or you can say, God, I am willing to make the investment in prayer and time in their life because I believe that you are transforming God. And God, I will make the commitment today and tomorrow and next week and next year and I'll just stay at it because that's what love does. It doesn't believe in people. It believes in what God can do in people. And that changes everything, folks.
would this do for the Corinthian church? It's interesting. There's a book that was written in the 90s in the first century entitled First Clement. And it was written by a leader in the church of Rome back to the church at Corinth. So, so, so we're, we removed about 40 years from, from this book. And it's interesting to read, although they're having some issues even there, that some of these kinds of issues have now fallen to the background. And so it seems like there was some hope for this church. And I would want to argue for you that there's hope for us. Now, if you're here today and you say, um, I'm not a believer. I, I, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The thing you need to do, the thing you don't need to do is try to love more. Now, that may help us. We'll be happy about that. But at the end of the day, that'll be a zero for you. You need Christ. You need to fall down before him and say, I just need you as my Lord and Savior. That's what has to begin. You have to be alive before you can live spiritually. But if you know Christ, will you go back over this list this afternoon? Will you think of the person on your list and will you turn it into a prayer request? God, through your spirit, by your grace, because my blessed Lord Jesus Christ lived this way. Would you make me more patient with blank? Would you help me know what to do with that list I've kept on blank? Will you help me to so believe in you that with renewed focus, I will move back into that relationship knowing what you can do in a life that responds to your convicting work. So I, I don't know which, which ones work where you're at, but would you let God do his work there? So let me just read through the list one more time. And I'm going to use the word you rather than love. And tell me how you think you're doing. You are patient. You are kind. You don't envy. And you don't boast. You're not proud. You do not dishonor others. You do not seek your own. You are not easily angered. You don't keep record of wrongs done against you. You do, you do not delight in evil, but you rejoice with the truth. You always endure. You always believe. You always hope. You always persevere. Father, we are unable to love as Jesus Christ is loved. And yet, by your grace, through your spirit, you want to make it a greater reality. Would you do your good work in our hearts? Every one of us, nobody in here bats a thousand, Father, none of us. 
Help us to know the joy of repentance. As you expose areas of weakness, may we confess them and may we find your grace to take whatever steps we need to to take from this point on. Father, help us to be greater lovers as we use our gifts, as we relate to people in the church, in our home, in our communities, and at work. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.